In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Team Grace, today we, of course, are in ordinary time, and ordinary time is a season of what? It's a season of discipleship, which means we have to ask some hard questions. Where are we in our relationship with the Lord? And maybe we can, maybe we can look and say, I'm doing really well with prayer. I've really been working on my prayer life. Excellent. But then we have to look and say, but yeah, I really haven't been among the poor, the sick, and the suffering. I need to work on that. Or maybe you're doing really well with the poor, the sick, and the suffering, but you still haven't gotten the whole idea of holy fellowship that we're supposed to be with one, with one another. So maybe you need to work on that. So I need to hang around the parish. I need to participate more in the activities. I need to be around other believers. I need to nurture that holy fellowship. Maybe you're doing well with holy fellowship, but you're just ignoring the sacraments. You can't even remember the last time you went to confession. So maybe it's time to focus on the sacraments. Whatever it is, it's important that we look at our discipleship honestly. We're works in progress, and we have a God who's patient with us. That we look at our discipleship, we acknowledge where we're doing well. That's part of the examination too. Because when we acknowledge that, we're acknowledging the workings of his grace. So I'm doing really well in these areas. But also acknowledging these areas, I need to do more. I need to go more deeper. So we give this examination of conscience. It's important as we examine our discipleship that we realize that discipleship is a way of life. We chose to follow Jesus Christ. Some were born into our faith and many have chosen to leave. At least they had integrity, right? So they were born into our faith and they realized, I don't believe this. They didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to want to believe it, right? And so they've walked away. We pray that the Holy Spirit brings them back, but at least there's integrity. There's some who are born to our faith, and simply because they happen to have been born to our faith, they think they're of our faith. But they've never really made the faith their own. They've never made that personal decision for Jesus Christ. They've never tried to fan and flame the graces of the sacraments. They've never tried to put all the aspects of our, of our Catholic Christian way of life within the relationship that we are called to have with Jesus Christ. And so their discipleship is fragmented. It's cold. It's removed. It's institutionalized. But that's not what we're called to do. As Christians, we are called to respond to the Lord Jesus' call. The Lord says, come, follow me. We look at the Lord Jesus and we see in him the fulfillment of all of our hopes and desires, everything we could want in this life and in the next, and we say, Lord, I will follow you. We make a personal decision for Jesus Christ. You are the Lord of my life. I will die to myself in order to follow you. That's discipleship. And it must be a way of life. But here's the struggle. And we did it to ourselves. There's this other model, and we can't really call it discipleship, so we're just going to call it being Catholic. And this other model of being Catholic, and Catholic there isn't really what we mean when we talk about being a Catholic Christian. Here in this context, Catholic is almost, it's a a faux Catholic, right? It's a pseudo-Catholic, right? Just they're using our words, right? So this type of being Catholic, what does that look like? Well, that just means you you go to Mass most of the time, you know, it's most of the time. And, you know, maybe you give a few dollars every once in a while, and you, oh, got to get the ashes. Whoa, got to get the ashes, okay? You know, and make sure you get the palm, you know. You got to do that, you know, make sure you have a rose. Don't pray it, but make sure you have one, right? You know, and it's just a cultural expression, very external, very fragmented. And I say we did it to ourselves because in the United States, we forget our own history as Catholics. We were not welcomed into this country. 
We were not welcome here. Protestant America did not want Catholics here. We earned our place in American society. By our hard work, our virtue, by service in the military, we earned our place. We earned every step. But as we sought to earn that, we were an immigrant people. We had very little means, very little resources. We were worked to death. Most Catholic men died in their late teens, early 20s. They were literally worked to death. They just dropped dead from exhaustion. That was our welcome to the United States of America. And because of that context, what the church did was she adjusted things. Okay, just get to Mass. Just make sure you memorize these Q&A. Okay, good. Make sure you know these prayers. It's a... We minimized everything because of the historical context. Now, there's an understanding with that. But what's happened is that's not the historical context anymore. As Catholics, we've arrived. But we still want that model for discipleship. In large part because there are no demands. It's very removed, actually. Just to show up and every once in a while warm a pew, walk around with the rosary that you don't even know how to pray, make sure you wear ashes even though you can't remember the last time with the confession. So it's all external, it's easy. That had its place at one point in that historical intense situation. But again, that's not our situation anymore. And there can be debates even then, should we have done to, to the degree that we did what we did. Because again, we just dropped everything. The greatest loss in this summary of being Catholic is that no one was talking about Jesus Christ. Someone could talk about being Catholic, summarize this whole thing, and never even mention the holy name. Never talk about the Lord Jesus, never talk about a relationship with him. This is why we can have those who are being Catholic who support abortion, support gay marriage, who don't think they have to give mercy, who feel no compulsion, no, no, no call to serve the poor or the sick or the suffering. Because it's all external. But it's still here. It won't go away. It's like a little idol now. Because there's so many Catholics who want to cling to that and hold on to that. And they're fighting to make sure that they can hold on to it. So, for example, when they hear the call to, you know, come for adoration on the first Friday or to go to confession on a monthly basis or to serve the poor, the sick, and the suffering or to develop their life of prayer, to pray the liturgy of the hours and so on, they're shocked, they're offended. I don't have to do that. That's not what I'm supposed to do. And we still have Catholics. This is just shocking. This is six decades after the Second Vatican Council. We still have Catholics who think that the call to holiness, the call of discipleship, really just belongs with the priests and the religious, which is shocking. In that model there of being Catholic, we lost the call to holiness. As a church, we failed the people of God. We did not call you, summon you to a life of holiness. There were historical reasons why we did that, but it was wrong. And the Second Vatican Council retrieved the full gospel, the full summons to the baptized. And for six decades, the church has called the local parishes and the dioceses to nurture the life of discipleship. 
Mother Church cannot speak more about discipleship. Every word she speaks is about discipleship. So we hear from the church, and then suddenly there's this middle area, and then there's the parish, and most parishes aren't talking about discipleship. To the point where there are still Catholic Christians who say, when they hear discipleship, isn't that a Protestant word? Wow. What a judgment upon ourselves. Discipleship? Because of this state of affairs, there have been some commentators who have said the problem in the church is middle management. (laughs) The church is saying one thing, the magisterium, the teaching authority of the church, but in the trenches it's not getting a hearing, it's not being preached or taught. Here at Lady of Grace, we're trying not to fall into that. We're trying to do what the Lord is asking of us. The Holy Spirit called the Second Vatican Council in order to once again renew discipleship among the baptized. That because in itself it's good, but also I believe the Second Vatican Council was called in order to do that so we could prepare for the secularism that is upon us. And truth be told, dear friends, we have not prepared well. And secularism is eating the church alive. There are many Christians who do not think, act, or behave, or conduct themselves as believers. They have been secularized, stripped of the depth of the faith. They have compromised. And yet every once in a while they still pop in, warm a pew, because that being Catholic model is so strong. We have to smash that. It's become an idol now. We have to get rid of that. Realize that to follow the way of the Lord Jesus, to be a disciple, is a way of life. It should direct and organize everything that we do. The way we pray, the way we spend our money, the way we express our sexual powers, the way we vote. Everything is placed under his lordship. That's a free decision. No one has forced you to come to Mass today. No one has forced you to be a Catholic. You may have been born to our faith. You could have walked away. You have chosen to be here, to hear the call and to respond, to fan the graces of the sacraments into flame. And now each of us, those of us who have said yes and want to follow the way of the Lord Jesus, we are called every day to die to ourselves and to hear the summons and the commands of God. Yes, to serve the poor, the sick, and suffering, that's a command. That's not an option. To pray is a command, not an option. To have holy fellowship, a command, not an option. To be a person of worship and to celebrate the sacraments, a command, not an option. To study the sacred scriptures and sacred doctrine, a command, not an option. You see, what that fake model did in the course of time was it allowed us to make commands into options. To the point we have people say, well, I can't do that. I have a family. I have a job. I have bills. So the early church. Look at the holy couple Priscilla and Aquila in the Acts of the Apostles. They ran a business. Look at the holy woman Lydia. She was a massive businesswoman in the early world, in the early church. Again, in the midst of that, they still understood, I chose to be a disciple. I heard the call. I chose to respond. This is what it means to be a Christian. I will not be a liar. I have chosen. I will do. So the, the things that people hide behind, it's just this box, this new idol that they're trying to hold on to. Well, as long as I get to Mass, as long as I do these basic things, then I'm okay. And people keep wanting to give themselves passes. Well, you need to hear clearly. You can delude yourself in whatever you want. You can hide under false images of being Catholic all you want. Make sure you hear clearly the summons and the call to be an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ and to truly choose to follow him in everything, understanding that he is worth all of it because you heard his call 
You have seen his offer of eternal life and you have chosen to follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple, dear friends. Now, during ordinary time, we, of course, assess our own discipleship. And it's good to acknowledge where we're strong and then acknowledge in humility the areas we have to work on. But we also know during ordinary time, we're not simply looking at our own discipleship. We're also looking at the discipleship of the community of faith. It's such a discernment that has led our bishops here in the United States to call us to a national Eucharistic revival. The National Eucharistic Revival is the acknowledgement of our bishops. There are many among us who do not have Eucharistic faith, and those who have Eucharistic faith are lacking in Eucharistic devotion. So it's time for a revival. So now for almost two and a half years, we have been in this revival. And it's moved quickly. Here at Our Lady of Grace, because the church calls us to a revival, we've responded. Regrettably, many of our sister parishes, many dioceses have chosen not to respond. But you know, what's interesting is in all the places where the revival has been put into practice, we have seen changes and conversions. Numbers in terms of Eucharistic belief increasing. You see, when we do what the church asks, the Holy Spirit is able to bless us. So here at Our Lady of Grace, we've been doing this series during ordinary time on the parts of the Mass and on portions of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Last week, we talked about the parts of the Mass. Today, we want to go back to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Now, to tell you, this is going to be our last review of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Next week, we go back to the parts of the Mass, and then we hit Lent. And Lent, we're going to talk about the Lord's Day. And then we hit the early Easter season, and that's the Eucharistic Congress in Columbia. And the bishop has said that that will conclude the revival here in the Diocese of Charleston. There's a National Eucharistic Congress in Indiana, but the bishop has said, no, we want to focus here on our Diocesan Eucharistic Congress. So we're going to observe the Eucharistic Revival and conclude as a diocese on April 6th. So we're going to go back to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, realizing this will be our last review as a parish family during the Sacred Liturgy. If you brought your catechisms, you can join me at number 1373. So number 1373. Well, I see we have some guests. So let me just ask the basic question. Uh, Team Grace, true or false, is there a Catechism of the Catholic Church? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm holding it, right? So to our guests, sometimes from other parishes, they don't know that. They're like, wait a minute, what? The Catechism of the Catholic Church, what's that? So this is in one volume, all the teachings of our church. So if someone's trying to tell you this is what the Catholic Church teaches, you can actually go and check it yourself. So it's a powerful gift, a powerful resource. So the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Okay, how many main parts are there of the Catechism? Four. What's the first part? The creed. What's the second part? Sacraments. The sacraments. What's the third part? Morals. Morals. What's the fourth part? Prayer. Prayer. Exactly. So there's the inner structure of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We're in the second part as a parish family, and we're in that portion on the Eucharist. So again, let's go to number 1373. We're just going to do two numbers uh, today. Number 1373 reads, Christ Jesus, who died, yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us, is present in many ways in his church, in his word, in his church's prayer, where two, two or three are gathered in my name, in the poor, the sick, and the imprisoned, in the sacrament of which he is the author, in the sacrifice of the mass, and in the person of the minister. So here the catechism is saying there are many ways in which Christ can be present to us. Those of us who are his disciples, who love him, who want to be with him, we can find him in these places. So in the sacred scriptures, in the poor, the sick, within one another in holy fellowship, in the priest, in the sacraments, we can find the Lord Jesus in many places. He wants to be present to us in many different ways. 
But look at that last part. But he is present most especially in the Eucharistic species. So it means of all the other ways in which Christ can be present to us, none of them can, none of them can compare with his presence in the Eucharist. Years ago, someone said to me, oh, well, you know, Father, the place where I most encounter God is in nature. I said, it's wonderful. I like to go on a nice hike and see God through his beauty as well. Beauty of creation, feel the presence of God, I get that. But nothing compares to his presence in the Eucharist. So even these other ways in which we feel the presence of God or know of his presence, we can come and nothing compares to the Eucharist. Okay, look at number 1374. The mode of Christ's presence on the Eucharistic species is unique. It raises the Eucharist above all the sacraments as the perfection of the spiritual life and the end to which all the sacraments tend. So there the catechism is saying that not only is it all the other ways of encountering the Lord Jesus that points to the Eucharist, but even the other sacraments, even the other sacraments do not compare with the Eucharist. So you imagine confession, anointing of the sick, holy matrimony, holy orders, all the other sacraments point to the Eucharist. They don't even come close to the Eucharist. And then look at this last part. In the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist, the body and blood, together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore the whole Christ, is truly, really, and substantially contained. This presence is called real, by which is not intended to exclude the other types of presence as if they could not be real, but could not be real too, but because it is presence in the fullest sense. That is to say, it is a substantial presence by which Christ, God made man, makes himself holy and entirely present. All right, so that raises the question sometimes people ask, well, we say with the Eucharist, the real presence, does that mean that Christ's presence in the scriptures aren't real? or his presence in holy fellowship isn't real, or his presence in the poor, the suffering isn't real. All of those are real. By the use of the term real presence, we're not trying to dismiss those. But we use this specific term, the real presence, capital R, real, capital P, P presence, the real presence. We reserve that title for the Eucharist to say that of all these other ways in which we encounter the Lord Jesus, None of them compare to the Eucharist to this real, substantial presence of God. So we reserve that title in our tradition, the real presence to the Eucharist. All right, so Team Grace, there's a lot more on the Eucharist in the Catechism. I have to say that as I was looking, I was impressed with how much we've been able to cover. But as I mentioned, today concludes our walk through the Catechism during Mass as a parish family. But I wanna encourage you that as we conclude our communal reading of the Catechism, I want to encourage you to continue to read the Catechism as disciples. The study of sacred doctrine is very important. We can only love what we know. And the more we know of God, the more we can love him. So I encourage you to continue to study. Now, the four parts of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the shortest and perhaps the easiest to read is the part on prayer. So if you're looking for some place to start in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and understandably, you might think, well, I'll just start with the first part, with the creed. All right. Let me just say this, the creed addresses all the main tenets of our faith. And sometimes it has to get very particular in order to address certain aspects of our faith. Now while that's very important and very beneficial in terms of our doctrine, well honestly it can be a little boring, right? So if you're looking to start the catechism, part one might not be the best place. So maybe part four, read about prayer, about the spiritual life, the interior life, 
And that might be a good part, an encouraging part to start. But whether it's the fourth part, or maybe the first part, or the second part, maybe you want to keep reading about the sacraments, or whether it's the moral life, wherever the Lord leads you, go there. And I just encourage you to make sure that you are still allowing the catechism to be a part of your discipleship. It is an expectation, a command, that the disciples of the Lord know his teachings, know about his life, know what it means to be one of his disciples. So I encourage you, make sure you continue to read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And as we continue in the portion of ordinary time we have left, examine your discipleship and ask yourself, where do you really stand in your relationship with the Lord? Don't hide behind that box. That idol has been smashed. Instead, ask honestly, in my relationship, my following, my way of life with the Lord Jesus, where do I really stand? Praise the good parts, make the resolutions in order to fix the weak parts so we can all be faithful disciples to the Lord Jesus.